0: Alhamdulillah wa salatu wassalam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala Nawain ta'lam wa ta'lim wa naf'un antifa' wa tathak'u wa tathkir Wa al-ifadah wa al-istifadah wa al-hat' ala tamasik bi kitab Allah Wa sunat rasulihi sallallahu alayhi sallam wa dua'ala al-huda wa dalala al-khayr Ibtiqa awa shillahi ta'ala wa mardotu gugur bi thwabi subhanahu wa ta'ala Wa ma'alimahallahu man sadehi niyat nas'ala Allah so inshallah we're going to uh, start the Roha as promised with a review of another set of intentions and today we're going to look at the intentions for marriage and these are intentions that we are should make if we are going to embark upon getting married. And if we are already married, is that it, hopefully it's not too late, inshallah there'll still be a blessing in making these intentions. We can always let make them now and our hope is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at least in relation to some of them, that they we will get the benefit of it. And so um, there are many that you can include that we have here about twenty four. Yes, about twenty four. And um So we can make the intention to marry. And these first intentions are the first four intentions relate to the ultimate ends. And I want to just explain this. We've said this before, but this should be common knowledge. We have means, ends, worldly ends, and then ultimate ends. So three categories. You have means, worldly ends, and ultimate ends means or anything that you do to achieve something not for itself but ultimately for another goal. And that could be a worldly end or an ultimate end. But even the worldly ends is that, even though they're ends in relation to this world, is that they, rele- they lead to the ultimate ends. The ultimate ends can be summarized by four or five things that we intend we always make the intention to draw near to Allah in everything it is that we do. We make the intention to seek His noble countenance, the wajh of Allah. We make the intention to... Um, that we make the intention to... Uh, 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 to, res- to attain His contentment. So, to see- to seek closeness to Allah, to gaze upon the noble countenance of Allah, to receive the contentment of Allah, and we also make the intention to receive the reward of Allah for whatever it is that we do. And we could add a fifth, it kind of relates to the fourth, but we could add a fifth if we want, to enter into paradise. Is it by virtue of what we do it be a means for us to enter into paradise, which is if we're going to receive the reward of Allah, yes, you it relates to also entering into paradise. So we could those four or five things are the ultimate ends. Everything that we do in this world, ideally, will be made with that intention of one of those five things. To draw near to Allah, to seek the contentment of Allah, to gaze upon the noble countenance of Allah, to receive reward from whatever it is that we're doing, and to enter into paradise. Those five things are the ultimate ends. Examples of worldly ends are things like تحقِيكَ الْعُبُودِيَةِ establishing, actualizing our servitude to Allah. That's a goal in and of itself. That being the khulafa of Allah on earth, being Allah's the custodians, His vicegerents on earth, is an end in and of itself. Good character is an end in and of itself. And so for us, those are worldly ends in the sense is that even if we take embark upon the means in the world, Is that we can never bypass those things. An example of that is, if we have a business, and the ethical ethical considerations of that business are of prime importance, we can never say is that the ends justify the means. Okay? In other words, is that the means have to be that rightly guided and correct, and the ends have to be rightly guided and correct. And so, we're people of principle, ultimately, And so even if that we take a loss in our business As a result of a stance that we have to take That is moral or ethical or of good character Is that that's an end even of itself And we would put that the reward that we'll get from Allah Ta'ala In relation to taking that stance over What we might lose outwardly in relation to profit And from the bounty of Allah Ta'ala is that usually what happens when we take these principled stances is that Allah Ta'ala, that gives us in one of many ways. It could be that He replaces whatever it is that we seemingly lost in that moment, or He wards off something that might have come our way were we not to have done that. And so um, those are examples of worldly ends. And then the means are everything else that we do. And so that's a long topic in and of itself. But it overlaps with the idea of intention. And this is why we want to constantly remind us that everything that we talk about, marriage, da'wah, uh, seeking sacred knowledge, visiting our brothers for the sake of Allah, all of these things, we always make those five intentions. And likewise, everything else that we do. And those things that are from the category of permissible is that we have to strive, especially in that category, to make these intentions. So let's say someone's just going to relax. They're going to go get some ice cream are they going to go get frozen yogurt or something like that what intentions do they make in doing that that's something that is permissible but we should make the intention to draw near to allah to receive the contentment of allah to that attain the good pleasure of allah to that gaze upon the noble countenance of allah and that to enter get reward from allah and to that enter into paradise and how could you do that in relation to the, a merely permissible thing? Well, in this case, there's a number of ways that you could turn that into an act of devotion. And one is that you make the intention to strengthen yourself for worship. You make the intention to that take some time off to relax yourself so that when you come back to that whatever it is that you're doing for Allah Ta'ala's sake is that you have a renewed energy. You can make the intention to that that give da'wah in the process of where does it is join. If you're taking family members, you're taking, making intention to be good to your family. You can buy an extra <clears throat> ice cream and give it to someone. So there's a number of ways that we can do that. Uh, that. In relation to that thing in and of itself, in relation to other things that we can do around that thing. And this is why that if we understand the power of intention, is that it will unlock immense, immense good for us. For the, for, uh, in, in relation to the storehouses of the divine bounty So we're going to go through these intentions The first five are the ones that we already mentioned To draw near to Allah To attain the contentment of Allah To gaze upon the noble countenance of Allah To receive reward from Allah And to enter into paradise To be granted entry into paradise And then that we have others that also are overarching That relate to many of the other intentions that we can make as well we intend to follow the command of Allah and to follow the sunnah of our noble prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And our prophet commanded us right, to get married in the fuqaha that have their opinions about that, what is the legal ruling related to marriage. And there is that different Akam and different rulings depending upon that one's circumstances and so forth. But generally speaking, it is a desirable thing and recommend it if someone has the ability to do so, and this is definitely the sunnah of our Prophet Sallallahu and in the uh, the uh, uh, introduction that is often recited, that just precedes uh, the marriage contract, into name they will quote the hadith of our Prophet: "An nikahu min sunnati, that getting married is from my sunnah. an sunnati, Whoever turns away from my sunnah is not from us. So this is the way of the Prophet Muhammad and the way of the Prophets who came before him, alayhi salatu was So we intend to follow in their footsteps, to follow their sunnah. And we also intend to increase in our love for Allah and His Messenger. We make the intention to seek assistance for the obedience of Allah, which is one of the primary reasons that we should... That get married, and that's one of the primary that things that we should look for in a spouse. Are they going to assist us in the obedience of Allah or not? Are they going to assist us in the obedience of Allah? There are many considerations you take into consideration a number of things, but this is one of the most important of all. And this is one of the great du'as that you can make for couples and make for your own selves uh, in relation to your spouse. That oh Allah. Make me a means of assisting her in the obedience of Allah. And, O Allah, make her a means of assisting me in the obedience of Allah. And then, that we also make the intention to that be in a state of service by serving one another. And in a relationship, you're always going to be in a state of service. And this is from the sunnah of our Prophet ﷺ, that the wife serves the husband, but the husband also serves the wife. And that we know that this is a part of a relationship. So we make that intention to be in a state of service. And then we also make the intention to learn responsibility by providing for your spouse. And whether that provision is a physical provision or an emotional provision. Because part of responsibility relates to your no longer thinking about yourself only. Now you have to think about someone else, whether you're a man or a woman. When you're in a relationship, it's not just about you anymore. You can't be selfish. And in a narcissistic age, there are many things that unfortunately creep into people that prevent them from having good relationships. And a lot of that relates to that the focus on the self and the inability of people to that focus upon that other people and the needs of other people and moving away from the self. And um, in this last trip, they, were, they had mentioned that uh, Muhammad Ali is credited for having the shortest poem in the history of the English language. And his poem states, Me, we. Me, we. And one of the themes of several of the talks, and it was partic- in particular, Sheikh Nineveh mentioned this, as he's talked about moving from me to we. And he said that if even that a linguistic subtlety, oftentimes we point them out in Arabic, but here's one in English, is that, that the M of me really is just, you just turn it upside down and then you get we. And so it's kind of turning yourself upside down to quit focusing on your own self. So where you have, you focus on the we. You focus upon other people. And so that you're not that focused on the self anymore. You're focused on other people. And this is the greatest of all people. And this is something that we can learn through marriage. And that we can, in particular, learn responsibility. Because now you have to provide for someone. And there are enormous lessons in life that you can learn by now being responsible for someone else. In all the meanings of responsibility. For the male there's the financial responsibility, but then also that for both male and female, the emotional responsibility, the physical responsibility, and so forth one to another. And then you also that make the intention to give your spouse his or her rights. So you learn about what are called hukuk. People have rights. The man has rights over the wife, the wife have rights over the man, so now here is a practical, that opportunity for you to learn about rights, and that you start to learn very quickly that if both sides demand their rights and they're not going to relinquish their rights, that relationship's going to be a disaster. So you learn how you have to be with other people. You also make the intention, and this is one of the greatest intentions of all, to become aware of your faults so that you can overcome them. And this is perhaps one of the greatest pieces of advice you could possibly give newlyweds, or people that are about to get married, or people that are trying to breathe life back into their marriage, is that if you approach marriage from the standpoint of kind of a romantic, utopian-type perspective, where everything's just going to be lovely and sweet and happy, and you're gonna hold hands and walk on the beach and that every moment of your life you're gonna it's gonna be like watching the sun set. That's not the way things are, is that relationships are difficult, especially when you get people from two backgrounds, and that the same word that is used for marriage is the same word that is used when trees grow next to each other and then the branches intertwine. So the Arabs say, That the trees grew next to each other And their branches became interwoven So their branches were all interconnected And this is the thing Is that you have two people from That oftentimes very different backgrounds Even if they're from the same culture Even if they're of the same ethnicity There's differences They have different temperaments They have different ways they were raised And you put them together under one roof And you make them work it out especially increasingly when we have that um, marriages where you have people from very different backgrounds. And culture is a very real thing. And sometimes what is okay in one culture is not okay in another culture. And so these are things that one has to be aware of and work out. But one of the things that will definitely come to the surface when you have these two people from these two backgrounds under one roof is that you will learn a lot about yourself. You will learn things about yourself that otherwise it is impossible for you to know. Because when you're hanging out with your friends, they're friends. Your friends tend to overlook many of your faults. Many of your faults tend to not rise to the surface because you haven't been put in that situation for them to actually rise to the surface. But when you put two people together under one house, under one roof, oh, is that things that are dormant in your heart will come to the surface. And so one of the greatest, and this is why marriage is so important, is that we can learn about our faults, and so that you you take the approach that I'm going to learn about my faults so that I can get rid of them and overcome them. And related to this is we make the intention to better our character and rectify ourselves. So by putting in that effort, we intend to better our character. We also make the intention to increase in taqwa, by protecting our limbs, by having a good solid relationship so that when you go out into a society where oftentimes there is fitna from the source of that relationship that you're protected. Is that you're, uh, you're a person of taqwa as a result. You also make the intention to protect yourself from the whisperings of shaitan and the calls of the lower self. Which marriage assists in this. You also make the intention to seek strength by which you can increase yourself in worship. And the purpose of going through this is many of these intentions, again, is that they overlap in many other aspects of our lives, but we need to hear them time and time again, hear them time and time again, where it's not enough just to read through a book like this or just hear this once. We literally, and I've said this over and over again, and it's not about me saying this, it's what our teachers say, and this is what the imams before us have all said. We used to teach the intention to our children the way that one of us was taught the Fatiha. So when you're memorizing Qur'an, what do you do? You go, you sit with the teacher, you learn how to recite it, and then you go, and you keep reciting, keep reciting, keep reciting, keep reciting, until you memorize it. Likewise, it is the same thing with these intentions. We keep hearing them, keep hearing them, keep hearing them, where the vocabulary no longer is strange to us, or unfamiliar, rather, We've memorized exactly what to say in relation to the intention, and then that we actually do it. We also make the intention to seek repose from the disturbance of the world, to prepare outwardly for inward openings, to increase in knowledge and all the different types of ways that we learn through marriage, to increase in spiritual aspiration, to increase in our love and connection for the people of Allah, and then the obvious intentions is to have righteous children that will serve the deen and pray for us. There's intention that we can make uh, through marriage is to have righteous children, who is, according to the prophetic hadith, that a pious child that prays for the father and the mother is one of the that things that remains even after that we die. And to also increase the numbers of the ummah of our Prophet ﷺ, because he will boast about his ummah on yom qiyamah. So you make the intention to that be a means for someone to come into the world about whom the Messenger of Allah Alaihi will boast about on Yom al And from this perspective it's worthy of mentioning is that we have a very different understanding of the world and we don't necessarily subscribe to this idea of finite resources Yes, that we are required to be custodians of the earth. Yes, we are required to that not go to excess in terms of what we use and consume on planet earth. But if people would stay within their means, and so that you would be doing things properly in relation to your interactions with that the earth, and people would be that free from greed, is that there's no doubt there's plenty of resources to go around, even if there were many, 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 many more people on the face of this earth than there is now. But, there's a lot of problems in terms of the outward dimension of how we are taking care of the earth, but oftentimes then people look back and say, okay, that we need to, that prevent people from having children, and that oftentimes that Muslims, not just people that are that in so quote-unquote developing countries, but in particular Muslims, because we're religiously encouraged to, that have a lot of children. And um, we have a very different way of looking at the world, and so while we need to outwardly that... Fulfill the right of being custodians here on Earth. Is that we also understand is that Allah ta'ala, if we have taqwa, is that He will give us openings and give us the sustenance that we need. That as humanity. So um, those are just a few of the intentions uh, that we can make. May Allah Taala give us tawfiq and that bless us to be people of the great intentions in everything it is that we do. Okay, so let's read al Fusul al-ilmiyah, insha'Allah Yes, yeah.
1: Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim As-salatu wa salam ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa Ali wa sallam. The Book of Knowledge and Wisdom authored by Imam Abdullah bin Abdul Haddad May Allah benefit us through him Amin, Ameen where he says chapter number one the order of priorities the Arifun or knowers of God and scholars concentrate primarily on making their faith and certainty strong, sound and strong and on purifying their Tawheed from the blemishes of hidden idolatry yeah. They then turn their attention to perfecting the virtues such as detachment, sincerity, and keeping the and keeping the breast clean towards Muslims, and to counteracting blameworthy attributes such as greed, ostentation, and vanity. Next, they attend to the soundness of their good outward actions and to guarding themselves against falling into evil works. Lastly, they tend to the good management of their daily lives and the preservation of their soundness by being scrupulous, accepting good counsel, maintaining frugality, and remaining content with little. Knowers are happy with the bare necessities and are willing to let others manage their worldly affairs for them, provided they are scrupulous and avoid injustice. Learn, then understand. As for the unaware and the confused, they concentrate their attention mainly on their worldly affairs and their physical pleasures and appetites, such as food, clothes, marriage, amassing wealth, and so on. Then, when a few of them grow a little more aware and far-sighted, they begin to pay attention to the soundness of their outward actions, such as their devotional activities. They may then move on to attending to their inward attributes, and last of all, to the strengthening of their faith. This is the reverse of the order of priorities recognized by the people of direct knowledge and realization. Reflect and meditate on this, and you will find it clear. And Allah knows
0: best. Ya yeah, Allah. <clears throat> Allah. ta'ala, have mercy on the soul of Imam Abdullah bin Ali al-Haddad. The advice that he's giving us here, this is the most precious of advice. And um, that I wish someone would write this in beautiful calligraphy. And that way we could hang it on our walls and remind ourselves of this every single day. Dr. Mustafa al titled this chapter, The Order of Priorities. Because this is the theme of these succinct, yet very profound and ever so important, that advice of Imam al-Haddad. And so he says by, he says here the arifun or knowers of God concentrate primarily on making their faith and certitude sound and strong. And in Arabic, is that it says here kunhu inaya, which is a very powerful way to say it. Kun is like the essence of something, so the essence of the concern of who. The Arifin and the Muhaqqiqeen. So the Arifin are the Gnostics, the knowers of Allah. The Muhaqqiqeen are the ones that are realized in this religion. These are the true Imams of this Deen. These are the true people that follow in the footsteps of the Prophets. These are the elect of the elect of the Ummah, the Siddiqin, those that have ascended to the highest degrees of closeness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that have given them a perspective that is very different than other people's perspectives. They have a vantage point that is unparalleled and unmatched. And alhamdulillah, these people will exist in every time. They exist in every time. They exist to this day and age. There are people that are like this, that are arifin and muhakkikin. And so what is the essence of the concern of the true people that are true in all of the meanings of being true? And what is there that Th- those things that they primarily concentrate on Are the following The first is Is that تصحيح الإيمان wa وتقويتهما So in relation to Iman which is faith And يقين which is certainty Two things تصحيح Making sure that their faith is sound That they have correct belief they see things as they're supposed to see it. They believe in things as they are supposed to believe in them. So it's sound, but not only sound, تصحيح, but it's also تقوية. They want to strengthen it. They want to make it strong. In other words, their approach of life is different than other people. Is that they think during that day what it is that they can do to strengthen their iman? On a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis. When was the last time we actually sat down and thought that way? And if we did, you would find wonders of inspiration. And how Allah Ta'ala inspires you, the way that He can inspire, not necessarily the inspiration that the awliya receive, but inspiration of meaning that comes from doing something that is pleasing to Allah, and thus attracting an angelic presence, and thus having thoughts come to your heart that don't normally come to your thought. If we would sit down and reflect upon this, and that make it a priority, you'd be amazed at what comes to your heart, about ways that you could actually do this. And so there's an element of learning here, which is the element of tasfi'ah, that primarily relates to learning. Is that we need to learn the basics of our creed, and then we need to learn a little bit more, and if we, that live in a time that is rampant, like our time, with misconceptions of our deen, with misconceptions of how Muslims should view the world, is that we need to take the time to do that. So there's a learning component, and we could develop a list of books so that someone should read and study with teachers in order to do that, and this is of the utmost importance, but... We also must strengthen our certainty, and so when we read and we make our cert and we make our faith sound is that even when we become very knowledgeable, still it's in the level of what's called el the knowledge of certainty. If we want to move up and ascend to the higher degree of certainty, that requires something else. And one of the greatest ways that we can be on the verge of attaining Ayn al-Iqeen, that I have certain to actually experience it, is to be with the true, the ulama al Aminin, the rightly guided scholars who have put their knowledge into practice and thus are living the realities of this deen. And in the absence of spending a lot of time with them or being with them, we can read stories about them. And then there's other things that we can do as well that Imam Haddad mentions in his other book, and so you see the relationship between his works, because the very first chapter of his famous work, um, the Book of Assistance, is on certitude, and he goes in details in that book ways that we can achieve that certainty, but this is the very first thing of all, and along with that, because you remember Haddad, keep in mind, he's an imam. And one of the traits of his scholarship is is that when he treats a subject, he does so holistically. And so he doesn't want us just to have that faith in certitude in that sense, but also in on purifying their tohid from the blemishes of hidden idolatry. Because tohid is not just about correct belief and the higher degrees of that tohid. It's about... Purifying your heart from the blemishes of hidden idolatry. And this is why our, our teachers say every single day, after virtually every single prayer, Allahumma aj'alna min ahli haqiqat al-tawheed. We should memorize that du'a and say it day in and day out. Allahumma aj'alna min ahli haqiqat al-tawheed. Allahumma aj'alna min ahli haqiqat al-Tawheed O Allah, make us from the people of the reality of Tawheed What does that mean? That O oh Allah, make us people who experience the reality of the Divine Unity What does that mean? It means that we move up in degrees where we have a higher degree of certainty And that is reflected in the decisions that we make, and the things that we do. So this is what we want. We want to be from the al Haqqiqat al-Tawheed. And as the scholars mentioned, <coughs> is that the people of the reality of Tawheed, is that their acts that they do, are much heavier than the scales, than those that are from the lower degrees. And it comes from the state of heart, that they are in when the act emanates from them. In other words, is that there is a greater quality of act. And one way to kind of bring that home is you could have one bill. That bill could be a dollar bill. It could be a five dollar bill. It could be a ten dollar bill. It could be a hundred dollar (coughs) bill. It could be a thousand dollar bill. And I'm not sure what the highest bill that is printed is. But it's the same bill. It's the same piece of paper. Okay, slightly different that design on it. But why is it when you go to the store and you have a $100 bill? Is that they understand that it's a 100 And if you buy something for $20, you get $80 back. Whereas you gave them a $1 bill, you wouldn't get it back. Our actions that even though sometimes they look the same, for some people it's like a dollar, Other people it's like $5. Other people it's like... $1,000 or even more. right? Or you can imagine a check, if you will, is that there's different numbers written on that check. It's the same piece of paper, ultimately, but there's a small number or a great number or something in between. And likewise, this is the case with our deeds. So this is their starting point. And they conduct their lives and arrange their affairs based upon this. And so the work that we're trying to do here is rooted in this and we hope this is the criterion where we can measure what we're doing that if we are doing daily and weekly and monthly activities that are helping this cause we're on the right track we're doing something that we really should be doing and it's a good sign but if we look at whatever it is that we're doing in our own selves or the community in which we live or the organization that we're a part of where these meanings are distant from them then we have to find other ways to bring them into our life. And, anyhow, that we have this criterion to judge this. Then he says, after this, thumma, which indicates, is that an interval? Is that this is where we begin? And after this, and really this thumma here is a type of metaphorical thumma because oftentimes we're doing these things at the same time. We're doing these things at the same time. And that one helps another. So it's not always that this is the only thing we focus on at the expense of everything else. No, we're simultaneously, for the most part, doing all these. Now in the maqam of ta'aleem, when we're learning, is that there's no doubt that we'll put certain things before others and then slowly learn. So it just depends on what we're, exactly what we're referring to here. So he says, ثُمَّ فِي تَصْحِيحْ الْأَخْلَاقِ Mahmuda then they turn their attention to perfecting the virtues. So we begin with faith and certainty, and then we think about Akhlaq al mahmuda, good character. Because it is of the utmost, utmost, utmost importance after faith. It is the criterion after faith, and it is the sign of true faith. And it is for this reason that sometimes people that spend quite a bit of time studying in a traditional madrasa is that when they first come back to where they're from and (coughs) they're asked a very detailed question about some obfuscation that is a matter that people don't really understand and the fact of the matter is is that they actually never even formally learn that and they have to go research what is the answer to that because their approach to the deen is not an approach that is merely about that answering people's doubts in religion and so forth. It's about actualizing the religion in themselves. And the living examples of those religions are the greatest proof that trump all other types of proof. And so that they attain a degree of certainty and rootedness in the faith by virtue of the people that they are sitting before. Especially if they're people of Ahl hakikat Tawheed. Especially if they're people of Akhlaq is that they develop a level of certainty as a result of their interactions with them that even if there hasn't been an unveiling, it's almost as if there has been because of the experiences that they've had. And anyone that has spent time that in the Muslim world or with good people will know exactly what it is that I'm referring to. And if these things sound far-fetched from the blessing of Allah Ta'ala, we have people in our own ranks from our own people. من who have had not just one or two, hundreds of these experiences. And these are people many of you know. People like Dr. Omar, He's coming soon. Ask him. People like Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. People like Sheikh Nuh Keller. People like Imam Zaid Shakur. And many, many others. People that have experienced things in this religion and have met the true people of Islam and can recount to you stories that don't fit into someone's narrow scientific paradigm that they might be trapped in in their mind and so this is the where we begin and with faith and then that tasih al akhlaq al-mahmuda focusing on perfecting the virtues and he's going to say ka he's going to mention examples like what detachment zuhud sincerity ikhlas and that keeping the heart clear towards Muslims. And he would not have mentioned that if that was not one of the most important things of all. He's mentioning that the most important of the virtues, and all virtues are important, but zuhud ikhlas and salamat al sadr muslimeen. That is a trait of a believer. A believer is not someone who harbors bad thoughts in their heart for other believers. He's not someone who lets grudges that take root in his heart. And, and what we're going to be discussing in, in the retreat, inshallah ta'ala, which is slightly different than the initial topic that I was thinking about, but it's related to it. We're going to speak in detail about futuwa, which is chivalry. And one of the ranks of chivalry is to that, learn to let go is to let go. And that not just have salamat as-sadr, that's a base level. Or in other words, you could say, how do we have that salamat as-sadr? And the best of ways is learning to let go. Learning to let go. In other words, is that if we see these things in our heart, ayyb, like we see ourselves as, this is something that is just, yeni. This simply should not be in the heart The way is if someone just had Horrible table manners Ayyp. That's not the way you eat At the dinner table And that this is how we should see things like this Holding something in our heart for another believer Ayyp. And that If that causes that reaction in our heart That will quickly that Be able to uproot it So we have salamat al Is that we have That keeping a clear breast towards Muslims, and one of the things is the second degree of chivalry is, one of the outward manifestations of that is, is Nisyan al-Aliyyah. Is that not only do you forgive people who wrong you, you forget the fact that they wronged you. You don't even remember. <laughs> Forgotten, and you move on. In the past, buried, gone. You've moved on. You've forgiven them, and you've forgotten that it even happened, and that will show in your interactions with them. And this was the way the Prophet wanted to go out to people without preconceived negative notions about them. Is that we want to go out to people with a clear chest. We want to go out to people that, with subhanAllah, that an ability to be a, a source of inspiration, and you'd be surprised how many people especially with this really weird world of social media that posts things, and when you meet them in person, you're like, are you that same person who posted that? And this has been studied, it needs to be studied more, but needs to be brought out more, is that what happens when that we're alone behind that computer and the psychology of what is taking place and the distance where you're actually not with real people and the things that happens from these lurking aspects of our soul that eventually, that come out in the open as a result. Whereas many of those same people in public, they would never say that about you, if it was about you, or about someone else, or speak like that. They wouldn't do that. And so, how do we treat them? How do we interact with them? The hope is, is that you will interact with them in a way that will be a means for their rectification and that their purification. And keeping the breast clear towards Muslims and to counteracting blameworthy attributes. So, this is the second thing again is that we seek virtue and we try to avoid vice. Nafi, he says here, Nafi al akhlaq, al he which he beautifully translates as counteracting blameworthy attributes such as what? Hirs, greed. Oh, greed is destroying this world, period. It's destroying the world. And we have a lot to say about greed. And we have an entire, that ethical, um, that paradigm where we understand exactly the, the danger of greed. And how to identify and uproot it from the heart. This is one of the greatest contributions that we can make to the modern world. Is to help people overcome their greedy souls. Which is destroying the world. And that's what people oftentimes don't realize. In their greed, they're not only destroying their own selves, they're harming their soul, but they're actually harming other people as well, as a result of their greed. Ostentation, which is the opposite of sincerity, and that vanity, being impressed with oneself. And then he says, next, so faith character, and then they attend to the soundness of their good outward actions and to guarding themselves against falling into evil works. So then, after focusing on their faith in character, is that here and after of, in terms of priority and in terms of importance, then comes the outward dimension. So think about how many people have the hierarchy all wrong. Is that people that will that only focus on the outward. Now, the outward's important. No one is ever saying that the outward is not important. Our Dean ultimately teaches us balance. But, is that we have to put everything in its proper place. Focusing only on the outward, or too much on the outward, and neglecting, or not focusing at all on the inward, is a grave mistake. And ultimately, want a perfect balance between the two. But in the hierarchy, is that character takes precedence over that outward action. Now, in terms of learning, is that when you learn in a manual, for instance, of the, that when you learn your Fardin Ayn, yes, you will begin with belief, then you will go to practice, and then you will go to character. So we have to put everything in its proper place to understand what we do in the Maqam of Ta'aleem when we're learning, and what we do in relation to the, directing our intention towards these affairs. So the, the soundness of our actions making sure that everything that we do that is sound legally and that requires again a bit of effort. We should think about our lives. How do we conduct ourselves? How do we manage our affairs? How are we at work? How are we in relation to our investments? How are we in relation to that our savings? How are we in relation to the way that we keep our homes and all of these outward affairs that relate to us? Is it they're important? Is that we, and we should think about them. And Islam enters into every single aspect of our life, from the clothes that we wear to the cars that we drive to the homes in which we live. All of these considerations are important. And that there are a number of etiquettes and rules that go along with all of them. And then at the same time, that being wary of evil works and learning that what are the various things that could get us in trouble with our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why we need modern scholars who can make it easy for us. Very few people are going to be able to have the requisite knowledge and time to be able to do intense research, to really point out to people all of the issues that they're facing in their time. This is why we need scholars to focus on this and write books to sum it up for us. That in that growing up in the United States of America, what are the things that we really, really need to know that are of the utmost priority. And what are the things that we need to know, for instance, if one of our spouses died? This is very, very important. That what many people, if the husband would go, suddenly, Ya Latif, it would be a complete mess. It would be a complete mess. That the spouse, and oftentimes no one in the community, would really know how to deal with the situation. He might have two accounts that no one else is on those accounts and no one even knows that they exist. He might have online payments that are reoccurring that no one knows how to go in and to actually that stop. And so we have to think about these things and write them down, find ways somehow to make sure that they're taken care of. We're one of us to go. And um, the more that we think about our affairs outwardly and to Avoid falling into the evil the better that's the last thing that we want oh, to enter into the grave Ya Latif and to just you know to be in a state where you know the grave is constricted upon us because we haven't set someone up to take care of our debts for us that's a very serious situation and um, that we should That speak to people and that, you know, ask people, "Hey, look, you know, if I were to go, can you please make sure that this is taken care of?" And trustworthy people, not someone who's going to be like, "Oh, okay," no, someone who you know knows the Sharia or at least is in contact with people who know the Sharia and will make sure to administer your affairs properly. And then he says, "Lastly, they attend." to the good management of their daily lives, <laughs> and the preservation of their soundness by being scrupulous, accepting good counsel. We're going to get into that. So the, the last part of this is what he calls that umur al maash فِيهَا Their livelihood, which is the vast majority of people think about how much time is spent from the time that we're young. Now we have people, you need to start doing this from age three, from age four. And it's ultimately a race to nowhere And there was a documentary about that About a girl from Lafayette, California Who killed herself a week after she got an F on one of her I think it was a math test or something She killed herself And it wasn't solely because of that F on the math test It was just that the stress that was on her shoulders to succeed And if she didn't feel that she succeeded in a t- You know, and Just ask Muslim chaplains that the situations they have to deal with of people that commit suicide. And Muslims are not immune to this. We know Muslim chaplains who have had this happen on their campus. And just ask other chaplains of other faiths. And this is why universities have hotlines for these things and so forth because people get so stressed out that they would rather just put an end to their life we have the billah. And The vast majority of people, this is all they really care about, at least seemingly, is that the good management of their daily lives. And it's not that you don't manage it, that's not what we're saying at all. But in terms of priority, it's fourth in line. After faith, character, and outward deeds, then, in terms of priority, this is the case. But that there are people, subhanAllah, who will put themselves in very compromising situations just for dunya. And thinking that they're somehow getting ahead, and it might outwardly look like they're getting ahead. It might be that they have a higher salary. It might be that they that are in a position where they earn more money. However, that we should never ever compromise our deen, ever. And that we should be principled, and it doesn't mean that you can't make money. It just means that you have to remain principled. And that in the modern world it is a bit difficult, because there are so many doubtful matters that relate to the way that we earn money in the modern world this is one of the major areas we need us. we need this to be really studied carefully and then people need to be advised on career tracks of that the safest career tracks so are the most beneficial not just safe on, but also beneficial to people and we need to to encourage muslims to take that those tracks that after we do the research to do so we have a lot a lot of work to do the more and more we study the more and more we think about it the more and more we realize panel, each one of these things is a life project for a group of people not just one person but the hope is the way these things begin is they begin with an idea and then people are inspired by that idea and you have people that come along sometimes 10 20 30 years later who dedicate their life to that and this is the way scholarship is and these are the way these things work and this is why that if you look at the historical development of the different sciences, they didn't happen overnight. It did not happen overnight. And some, oftentimes, the main commentary on books that become the of Fatwa are two, three hundred years later. So what happened in that interim period? No one knew fiqh, of course they did. But it just wasn't as clear until that seminal work was written. And so, that this is the way these things work. And this is why that... It's so important that we spend the time actually thinking about them, and then he says, "In the preservation of their soundness, by being scrupulous, accepting good counsel, maintaining frugality, and remaining content with little." These are some of the key things of all. Okay, so حسن tadbir في أمور الم... حسن is that learning to um, that uh, that manage our affairs. Well, and how do we do that, is that we always have to take into consideration wara, scrupulousness, and being safe in whatever it is that we're doing. We also have to take into consideration good counsel, is that we ask people's advice. And this is, people fail to do this oftentimes. If you want to open a business, if you have a project in mind, seek counsel. Talk to people that religious scholars and people that have experience in that field. And one of the other principles of this as well is maintaining frugality. Literally, qana'ah, which is being content with little. And that, as he said, maintaining frugality and remaining content with little. So these are some of the very important principles of this fourth dimension in the way that we conduct our outward affairs. And then he says, as for the unaware, which is the way he translates here, the ghafelein, and the confused, the mukhalatim, yalatif, it's the opposite, is that they concentrate their attention mainly on their worldly affairs and on their physical pleasures and appetites such as food, clothes, marriage, amassing wealth, and so on. Is it how concerned, how do we panic right, if we go into our closet and we don't see much food? That's something we should never let our kids say. We should discipline them. If they go into the pantry and they say there's no food, Billah. Right, there's enough food probably for two or three months in almost everyone's home. And the kids go into the pantry and say there's no food. What they mean by that is, there's no cookies, there's no potato chips, there's no junk food, right? Where they can that gratify their nafs. A'udhu billah. That's a dangerous thing to say, because you're being ungrateful for the blessing of Allah Taala, right? And anyhow, that this is not think about how much we focus on the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, that wealth, these types of things. It's not that you can't have those things, but you have to accompany those things. With balance Minimizing them And that when you have things Is to give thanks to Allah Ta'ala And to show gratitude for them Then when a few of them grow a little more aware And farsighted They begin to pay attention to the soundness Of their outward actions Such as their devotional activities So it's turned upside down Is it okay? I'll place a little bit of attention On my devotional activities Make sure I pray from time to time And do a little bit there You know What we hope to see is that That the deen becomes the priority Is that learning becomes a priority And that the more people want to learn The more your teachers will give you And if people came to teachers and said Look, I want to study every day for two or three hours I'm adamant And they persisted in that Allah would place barakah in the teacher's time And in the student's time So that they all had the opportunity to do so and at least, bare minimum, for people that are serious about the path to Allah, we have to attend one class a week, at least. That's bare minimum for, of the awam, of the common folk. At bare, by bare minimum. But people who are really traveling the path to Allah Ta'ala of the akhirah, is that they should strive to do a little bit more. And that also in relation to that, praying in jama'ah, preferably in a masjid or a place of prayer. At very least, once a day, we should try to pray in jama'ah. At very least, if we can't do fajr and isha, or fajr and maghrib, at least one of the three. If it's too hard for us to get up for fajr, let's try to make maghrib. If isha is too late, let's come to maghrib. If maghrib is too early, let's come to isha. And so that we at least make this a priority. And you will find in our time, is that it's difficult. Because there's all these other things we're considering. We're so overwhelmed, oftentimes, by our daily lives. Uh, But one of the things you will find is that if you make it a priority, at least by way of intention, you will find wonders of divine facilitation in order to do that. It starts with the intention. But if we close the door to ourselves, I can't do it. Is that really an I can't or kind of a slightly lazy I can't? There's a difference between the two. And uh, anyhow, we are all in the same boat in this regard. All of us are falling short, every single last one of us. So no one is claiming that every single one of us are falling short. But we're all trying to help each other do a little bit more, help each other collectively, inspire one another, work together too, that move in the right direction at least. Then may, may, then may then move on to attending to their inward attributes and last of all, strengthening of their faith. So the machalatin and the rafilin, they do the opposite order. Is that the arifin, the people who really know? That's the order. The people of heedlessness, it's opposite. This is the reverse of the order of priorities recognized by the people of direct knowledge and realization. Reflect and meditate on this, and you will find it clear. And God knows best. Uh, this is a very short. It's less than a page if it were be on one page, but an incredibly important section here that uh, we should remind ourselves regularly and let that benefit us too. This great work of the great Imam Abdullah bin Abdul Haddad, Waradillah okay, Tan'ahu, wa Nafaa'ana Let's read a little bit from Man in the Universe. Uh, quick, quick question. Marhaba.
1: So the Arifin they start with that, but. What was the beginning of the Arifin? Was it just pure wahab, like gifts from Allah, or was there something before that
0: that enabled them to start at that starting? Um, there's no doubt that the Arifin put in work to become Arifin. Mm. <coughs> and they took a path of learning and implementation of their knowledge and striving to adorn themselves with good character and to renounce the world and turn away from it and to. <coughs> learn that the way to conduct themselves with other people and everything that they needed to do to fulfill the rights of their lord and all the rights that other people have upon them and that not neglecting as well the rights that their own self has upon them but it's a process whereby which that they eventually became realized and that what he's telling us is is that this is what we want to strive towards and um that we have to follow in their footsteps and by doing so, the hope is, is that by emulating them, that it will lead to what Allah Ta'ala uh, bless them with. Okay, so we're on page uh, 10, the first paragraph of page 10. You want to read? In these worlds... <coughs>
2: From the book The Man and the Universe Mustafa Al-Badawi Allah Ta'ala says In these worlds abstract, thing, abstract things Take on forms Much in the same way As ab- abstract meanings And formless realities Take on forms Or images To appear in dreams Certain surahs Chapters from the Quran For instance Appear as light in the grave or as clouds at the resurrection, shading those who used to recite them during their earthly lives. Evil deeds also appear to those who perpetrated them, taking the form of huge, venomous snakes, scorpions, or scorching fires. Then there are the scales upon which deeds will be weighed. These deeds must therefore take uh, take on substance to be weighed, And they may be outweighed by a small parchment inscribed by with, la ilaha illallah. There is no god but Allah. The appearance of abstract meanings in perceptible forms is called al-alam al-mithal, the world of similitudes. These similitudes may even appear within the material dimension, as when Gabriel appeared to Mary, he appeared to her. In the form of a well-made human
0: and the word there is Tamathala was the verb that was used there mm-hmm. Where you see this similar linguistic um, <coughs> relationship to the word mithal Tamathala which, oh, which means <laughs> that
2: Gabriel took on the likeness or the similitude of a man This is the nature of the intermediary realm, realm Of the human imagination and of dreams the world of imagination, alam al-khayal, and that of dreams correspond in inwardly to what the world of similitudes is outwardly. In this fact lies the explanation of the strange happenings that the dead experience in their graves. For they are not spatially contained in the narrow sandy pit where the body is deposited, but rather in the surrounding subtle Dimension.
0: Their physical body is there, and there's a relationship between their physical body and their spirit, but they're in the surrounding subtle dimension. Another invisible world is
2: that of the jinn, the fiery creatures. uh, The fiery, the fiery creatures, who, being endowed with reason, are free to accept or reject divine messages, and are thus divided, as humans are. ...into believers and disbelievers. The latter are the followers of the devil and carry out his subversive plans. The worst among them are called demons. The root from which the word jinn is derived signifies hidden, invisible or covered. Junoon or madness, is derived from the same root, not because madness is due to the jinn but because madness is defined as that which covers reason and hides it. Junna aqluhu Akluhu means his reason has become hidden. The jinn are capable of appearing in and interacting with the material dimension for they are made of energy, much like the kinds of energy known to physical science. There are also levels in the adjacent subtle doma- domain which constitute the medium through which such phenomena as magic and sorcery, the evil eye, and hy- 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 hypnosis. Hypnosis. hypnosis exercise their action.
0: So he's still giving us an understanding of, in a very brief understanding, and his purpose here is not to go into too much detail and um, he wants us to understand something about, as he spoke before we won't review too much of that but just before this we spoke about the very briefly about the intermediary realm the Barzakh which is that what happens the world between the world in which we live and between the afterlife and it's the first stage, the stage of the grave uh, of the afterlife and that the spirits of the believers will be in Il-Giyun and that the spirits of the disbelievers will be in the Sidhine, Sallallahu Alaihi wal Walafia, and that it is the the unseen realms are increasingly subtle, and that the that more outward the realm, the denser they become, and is he's saying in these worlds is that abstract things take on forms, okay, and. and uh, this is why that, like for instance in dreams, is that that you have have to understand a little bit about symbolism, to understand what the dreams actually mean. Because sometimes they actually mean the opposite of what you think they actually mean. And um, it is worth reading the introductory chapter to Ibn Siddin's world uh, book on dream interpretation, and just some of the basic principles of symbolism that are necessary for the dream interpreter, long, long, interpreter as long, interpreters, as well as, you know, the gift that they've been given, and that taking into consideration all of the outward factors as well. But the point here is, is that um, this is an important aspect of our deen, is to understand when we speak of these things, um, that the literalist mind. Who thinks that they are as we experience them now, and thus deny them, or think that this is just religious folklore? Billah, is that unfortunately a very unintelligent person? Is that these are very sophisticated meanings, and that once you understand that symbolism and how this works, is that far beyond those that very dense minds that have difficulty to understand these things. These things are realities and um, that the more that we move up in the degrees of closeness to Allah ta'ala and our certainty increases, is that the stronger our faith becomes in these things. And really, once you believe in Allah, once you believe in Allah, it's very easy to believe in the unseen. Very easy. It's very easy to believe in things that your intellect can't grasp, because you believe in Allah. It's very easy. And there we always have to remind ourselves the difference between science and scientism. Science we're not opposed to. Inquiry, learning about the world in which we live, understanding the sunan of Allah and creation, the way things work. There's nothing wrong with that. If we have a good intention behind it, there's a lot of benefit that can come through it as we see. But, scientism is something different. That is a choice that we make. Where we say that the only thing that can be true is something that can be scientifically proven that is actually irrational to believe that. That is a choice that you actually that make to believe in that. Because that just because science, which only deals with the Roman material, can't prove something, rationally speaking, that makes no sense that for you to come to the conclusion that, that thing can't exist. It simply means that science can't that prove it. So if you make that decision in your mind not to believe anything unless science can improve it, you have set yourself up to be very, very limited in what you can ultimately believe. And that if you believe in the existence of a creator, that believing in jinn and believing in that the way that our evil deeds take on forms, that's very easy. Believing how suras become light, that's very, very easy to believe. And uh, so uh, that's an important consideration. Okay, let's take a little bit more.
2: The created universe is a single, closely interconnected whole. Whatever happens in one dimension has repercussions throughout the hierarchy. The visible and invisible invisible worlds are in constant interaction, both for good and for evil. The effect of faith and virtuous behavior is to unlock the gates between this world and the higher ones and to shut the gates between it and the lower ones the result is the presence of barakah the spiritual influence or benediction that comes from above and pervades everything outwardly and inwardly to make it flourish had the people of the book jews and christians believed and feared god we would have acquitted them of their sins and admitted them to the gardens of bliss had they upheld the, uh, the Torah and the Gospel and what was revealed to them from their Lord, they would have eaten both from above them and from below their feet. Had the people of the cities believed and feared God, we would have opened upon them blessings from the sky and from the earth. The reference in both these passages is to rainfall and the crops, is to rainfall and the crop it causes to grow the barakah which is the result of strong faith virtuous behavior and sincere prayers makes both rain and crops plentiful the opposite also occurs as a result of the opposite kind of behavior misery and destruction befall the corrupt as a result of what they do corruption has appeared in the land and sea for that men's own hands have earned and that he may let them taste some part of that which they have done, that they may return, say, journey in the land, and then see how was the end of those that were before, most of them were idolaters. This, however, is a highly complex matter involving a great many factors of which the ones we have just mentioned are but a few. Another element to take into account is the divine law whereby whoever does good receives his reward in this world. Disbelievers who work hard at tilling, at tilling, tiling. at tilling their land will reap their reward in the form of se- satisfactory, satisfactory crops, although the end result of their whole way of life cannot but be catastrophic. Likewise, believers who neglect their land will inevitably see their crops fail. The the mitigating presence of saintly persons among a corrupt population is a compensatory factor of substantial weight due to the power of their barakah that, unknown to the community at large, neutralizes to a certain extent the adverse effects of corruption.
0: That's a very profound. uh Passage there, several couple paragraphs, and um, where he speaks of baraka, And um, barakah comes from what? From faith, from iman, and from virtuous behavior. And the way he refers to it here is it unlocks the gates between this world and the higher ones, and it shuts the gates between it and the lower ones. And so, that the stronger our faith, the better that our deeds is that the more blessing will be present. And um, it will pervade everything, that blessing. And the opposite is true as well. And so that he did note here is that there are a number of factors that relate to that why things are happening in the world. In general, is that what happens by way of evil is from what people's hands have wrought. And what happens by way of good is as a result of the good things that they do in general. But he says it's a highly complex matter where there are many other factors and that we have to also take into the consideration the divine law, where if someone does good, they receive good for it, and that if they neglect the means, is that they find that they will receive what it is that they've earned in that regard. And then he points here, too, as well, that these blessed people, who he says here are unknown to the community at large, that neutralize to a certain extent the adverse effects of corruption. And this is why it's so important to have righteous people amongst us. Righteous people amongst us. It's very important. And we should never, ever, ever fault the uncles that are praying in the mosque. Ever. We should never speak like that. We need elderly people praying in the mosques. And we also need young people praying in the mosques. Young people who are learning their deen and are actively involved with bettering society, of course. But we also need elderly people. We need righteous people more we only to realize the blessing that comes from certain people and people might not even realize the greatness of these of these people but there's immense blessing in having uh, righteous people and tribulations are warded off from us as a result so that this is really what we want to have we want baraka to that pervade and that one tiny example of that is if you look at the intellectual achievements of the people who came before us how on earth with the limited means that they had did they achieve what it is that they achieved and how can we that despite that we have that thousands of volumes at our fingertip we can't even scratch the surface of what they really achieved intellectually speaking just as one example and um then the way that we understand as well that the that uh, how materialism has taken over in the outward dimension that is a story for another time that is detailed, but the, what we want is to that live lives of that faith and of righteous deeds so that we have barakah in everything that we do, barakah that only. Doesn't only benefit us but benefits <coughs> our families and our communities and those that are around us, and may we be a source of mercy for everyone Ta'ala and give us tawfiq in all of our different affairs and bless us with these meanings and may the means of faith take root in our heart, Ya Rabbi and may that lead to the good action that is pleasing to you. May you adorn us with all good attributes of character that our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was adorned with in fi Fiqh wa Fafiya, we said us al hadratin nabi